Hello and welcome to the Shock Your Potential podcast. I am your host, Michael Sherlock. Each one of us holds great potential, and tapping into that potential is my passion and my mission. Shock Your Potential is a global leadership training company dedicated to creating positive, productive, and profitable workplaces. We develop, nurture, train, and guide leaders at all levels and at all points in their career. Through this podcast, I get to interview amazing leaders who are shocking their own potential and the potential of those around them. Learn more about us today at shockyourpotential.com and shockyourpotentialpodcast.com. And don't forget to check out my two best-selling books, Tell Me More, How to Ask the Right Questions and Get the Most Out of Your Employees, and Sales Mixology, Why the Most Potent Sales and Customer Experiences Follow a Recipe for Success. Join us now as we meet another great guest. And don't forget, subscribe, rate, and like us today. This episode is really going to be important for our job seekers because we're talking about the hiring manager's perspective. And I wanted to bring in somebody who has vast experience in this and whose positions really also tell us a story of his own uh, career trajectory. So I'm welcoming welcoming today Rocky Romanella. And first of all, as you see in the background, as you will in a moment, he is the uh, founder and the um, senior partner of 360 Management Services. But prior to this, he actually, he's held many positions, including CEO of Unitech Global Services and multiple positions at the VP and president level throughout the organization of UPS, a brand that we all know, we've all trusted, and that we've seen some incredible things come out of. So first of all, Rocky, thank you for joining us today. Well, thank you. It's my pleasure to be here. I look forward to talking to you and your audience. This is really important to talk about, you know, what does it, what, what's important to the hiring manager, especially, you know, someone who's been at so many different levels with the organization. And I know that you and I both have hired hundreds and hundreds of people throughout our career, but I think it's really important to start with a little bit of your story, if you don't mind, about your rise kind of through the ranks of UPS, because it's, it's a story that I think most people um, don't see anymore as somebody who's had that kind of great trajectory through one company for the majority of your career. Well, thank you for asking. Uh, UPS uh, had a promotion from within policy, and I was working my way through college. I was going to St. John's University in Staten Island, which is that, that, that branch of St. John's is predominantly a commuter college. And so I was paying my way through school. I was going to college to be a high school history teacher and a baseball coach. And, uh, <laughs> and as I was working my way through and got the opportunity to become a part-time supervisor, I started to notice that some of the best supervisors and the most effective leaders and managers inside the organizations were those individuals who found a way to get their people to kind of connect the dots and understand what we're trying to do. And it's the same in coaching. You know, can you get the team to understand, you know, what we're trying to accomplish and, you know, what each of your roles are and how important each of you as individuals are to the collective good. And so, uh, I never gave up my teaching passion. I just changed my classroom from the traditional classroom uh, to the to the business classroom, and then uh, became you know a full time supervisor. Was a driver inside of UPS. Uh, we had a promotion from within policy, but you also had to drive before you can begin that promotion from within policy. And that was a great lesson for me. I enjoyed being a driver. I lived in a traditional uh, Italian house, two family house. Right, we lived upstairs. My grandmother, Nonna. 
and my aunt and uncle, uh, my cousin lived downstairs. And so every night before, you know, before I went out driving the next day, my grandma, knowing the press, my uniform, so I had that press starts uniform and really <laughs> enjoyed being a, a delivery driver at UPS and then worked my way up through the organization. And, and to be frank with you, Michael, I never really sat there and said, well, I'm going to be this or that. Uh, my dad told me two things uh, when I first started the job. I came home and a good friend of mine got the first job at UPS. And my dad said two things. He said, learn your job and learn some more. So whatever you're doing, don't ever think you understand it or, or you've got it. You just got to keep working at it and keep trying to understand and try to learn more about it. And the second thing he said to me was, whatever they ask you to do, say yes and thank you. And so as I was kind of growing and developing and moving up inside the organization, every time you know, I was approached with a new opportunity and we moved across the country eight different times, if, even if I didn't feel ready, all I could hear my dad say, hey, whatever they ask you to do, say yes and thank you. You know, they may not ask you again. You know, okay, dad. <laughs> so I <laughs> different roles and responsibilities. And, I, and the valuable lesson there for me was I, I may not have been ready to take on that next position. And, and as we're talking to, you know, today we're talking about the hiring side that you and I have participated in. But when you're on that other side, right, and someone's addressing you for a potential opportunity, you may not feel ready, you may not have the confidence. But at that moment, UPS believed in Rocky Romanello well ahead of I was ready to believe in myself. And so they gave me the confidence maybe to take on that new role and responsibility. And as leaders, as you start to identify high potential people inside your organization, you may see more in them than they see in themselves. And they may not be ready to maybe handle those additional responsibilities, but it's your ability to believe in them until they're ready to believe in themselves. that help bridge that helps to bridge that confidence and, and that knowledge gap. And so that individual who you're addressing and saying, Hey, I think you'd be perfect for this role, or I think you're perfect for this uh, new assignment. And you can tell by that look in their face, like, I'm not really sure I'm ready. <laughs> well, it's, it's your ability to bridge that gap. And that was such a great learning express, uh, 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 such a great learning experience for me. And so as I grew and developed inside UPS, I, I really received the opportunity to work with union employees, non-union employees. Uh, we purchased mailboxes, et cetera. And we had, uh, you know, we, we rebranded it to the UPS store, but I worked with franchisees. Some of the greatest entrepreneurs taught me so much about small business owners and entrepreneurial spirit. And then we, when we built the supply chain solutions business, we had over 20 acquisitions that we had to integrate. And so I learned that piece of the culture, how important it is to make people feel like they're part of something and that you, you know, their past is important. And so how do you take that past and the company that they work for that now was being acquired? How did you, how do you allow them? to become part of that special team you're trying to build inside of the organization. That's the acquirer retired at 55 with uh, 36 years of service at UPS. And then uh, got recruited to be a CEO of Unitech did that for uh, two and a half years. We had a sale there. And then uh, I guess the thing I uh, am not very good at is retiring. So <laughs> that's the thing I got to work on. I, I think retirement is uh, is a changing uh, target these days, especially for you know those of us who still feel really active and we're ready to go and it's the next chapter. And in fact, I was laughing with uh, someone a few weeks ago when, uh, and I was actually sharing that quote from you that because you use that on on um, on our podcast episode that we uh, that we taped together. And uh, I said, you know, it, it's funny because I'm wondering about, you know, starting this new business at my age. And I, and I said, I feel kind of weird about that. And she starts laughing. She goes, 
honey, unless you're dead, <laughs> you can still recreate. So keep going. <laughs> oh, that's exactly right. It was funny though, when I, when I first started, you know, the kids are like, first dad, let's start with, you can't have an AOL account. You got to have at least a Gmail account. <laughs> I mean, come on. I'm like, all right, all right. So I guess. <laughs> I get my uh, nephews keep giving me uh, grief my and my one niece and they say, you know, you still have a hotmail address. I said, I know, but I really just use it for junk mail. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, okay. well, it's a legacy thing. You know, it's kind of like who we were in, a, in our in our first, you know, original days, right? When we first started doing this stuff. Well, and I think that's a really, actually, it's a good point too, because, um, you know, a lot of people that are looking for jobs right now, many have been with companies for a long time and maybe not 36 years, but, you know, even if you've been someplace for five years or 10 years and you haven't been out trying to apply for a job today, it's different. There are different ways that you do it. I remember when I first applied for, you know, my first official job and I had my resume on pretty paper in a little, you know, uh, you know, a folder with my business card, with my name and everything and that's how you that's how you connected and, and it's vastly different today well think about it so when we first started or we were going through that process our biggest issue was a is our resume too long right because remember you, you weren't yep. sure whether you were supposed to go to page two or not and b did i misspell anything today <laughs> hey today they're worried if they google me what are they going to see very <laughs> true am i you know are there pictures of it Knowing what I know today that I'm going for this particular job, do I wish those pictures weren't up there right now? So it's a, it's a, it's a changing environment and it really, uh, it, it, it is a scary place, I think, at times as people are going through that interview process. I agree. And, you know, you and I have sat on that other side of the table many times, um, you know, with applicants and taking them through the process. But I'd like to know, you know, when you have people sitting across from you, what were you looking for in a candidate? Now, that's kind of a general question because, you know, you don't know what kind of position, but, you know, overall, what, what were you looking for? What stood out to you about a candidate that made you feel like they were going to be a good fit? Well, it may be, may, maybe I'm a little, you know, kind of old fashioned or I think about it differently. So I, I don't, so I apologize to anybody that may be looking at me like, oh, you're, you're a little crazy. But for me, it's all about the fit, right? It's about the family. Do you fit into the organization? to, you know, our, our culture and our values and, and who we are and what we stand for in an organization. And do they fit your core values and who you are and what you stand for as an individual? Because I believe that's really, you know, the part that's so important. You know, I tell people all the time, you know, I was at UPS for 36 years. I didn't agree with everything that happened at UPS, but I didn't disagree enough to leave. And so that's that match of, I never felt like I was asked to violate a law or break a policy or do anything immoral or unethical. And so I fit and that allowed me to work through some difficulties or things I may not have agreed with, but, but I always knew that I, I felt comfortable there. And it's the same, I think when I'm sitting across from individuals, you know, you can, you can learn many of the skills inside an organization. You, you know, as I, as I told you, I mean, I moved throughout the organization. I mean, you know, I learned franchising, I learned supply chain, all areas that I probably never would have picked myself to be doing. <laughs> but UPS had the confidence in me, right? I mean, think about it. I mean, I love these kids that come out of school. They got degrees all over the place. I mean, I graduated summa cum lucky. I mean, I wasn't the guy that everybody, <laughs> I don't know, no, nobody, in, nobody in my, uh, you know, high school graduating class were identifying Rocky Romano. I think that guy someday is going to really do some big things. No, I mean, so, you know, you grow, you develop, you take on challenges. As long as you have the desire to learn and the desire to be the best that you can be, 
and you're in the right kind of organization, you're going to match your desire to learn and their desire to train and develop. So for me, as I sat across from individuals, my concern was, do you fit? Do you feel good about yourself inside this organization? Do you feel like, you know, who you are and what you stand for matches with who we are and what we stand for as an organization? So I think that that's so, that's so important. And the skills are going to come. I mean, you're going to train, develop, you're going to help them, you're going to mentor them. You, hopefully you have that kind of organization that says, hey, look, we're going to give you the opportunity to learn and develop. But it starts with, do you feel good about it? And I, the other analogy or example I quickly give you is, is as you and I both attended so many workshops as we kind of grew and developed inside organizations, the test was always at the end of the day of a, of a workshop and you met 20 people who you have never worked with before from different parts of the country and sometimes now with international businesses from all over the world. Absolutely. But you always sit there, Michael, at the end of the day and you say, hey, I feel like I've known these people my whole life. I mean, I just met them today. Well, that's because you match and you you fit kind of from a character perspective, morally, ethically, you know, and that's, that's why it's so important. So for me is, are you part of the, you feel good about being part of this family? That's a really important question. I, I listen to a lot of people that are in a job search mode or job search mindset. Maybe they are still in a position, but they're thinking about leaving. And, and many times I'll ask them questions. And this just wasn't even from when I was hiring. Um, although I did always ask this question, you know, what is, what's important about right now about why you want to leave? And I really asked that question because I wanted to get to the heart of what's prompting you out of this business, you know, or out of this company, because there's usually some impetus, you know, and it maybe I'm not being promoted as well. Maybe I don't like the culture, whatever. There's a lot of reasons, but there's usually something at the root of that. And I often hear people talk negatively about their current work environment, not sometimes even in job interviews they did with me, which I thought was interesting, but you know, you go and sit at a hotel, you know, the, the, uh, you go to eat at the you know, bar area in a hotel. Mm-hmm. And if you just open your ears, you'll hear six people around you complaining about their work, maybe to the person sitting next to them, they're on the phone, they're chatting up the bartender or something. And to me, there's that sense of when you find, when you go to look for a job, regardless of whatever your situation was that you came out of, how can you go in, in the beginning saying, I need to find the right place for me. I'm going to ask the questions that lead to that. And I'm not just trying to find the next job to get me out of that one because I need to escape, but I'm really going to be systematic about taking a look at myself and knowing where I fit in and what's going to feed my soul so that I can give the best I can to a company. And I think that maybe is a little bit of a luxury in some people's minds. And yet if it's not, then you're going to be unhappy from job to company to job to company. No, I think you're absolutely right. And it's funny when, um, you know, we had an, when we had our interview process or our promotion process, you know, it was interesting because you self-identified, you had to write a letter to say, Hey, I'm interested in being a full-time soup or interested in this position. And then you went through a, a series of probably six or seven interviews, you know, individual interviews, we have panel interviews. And then, you know, your final interview is with generally the district manager level individual who was, you know, running the business unit. And so when, when people would come to see me as the business unit leader and they had just gone through this process, I mean, the first question, you know, I would they'd talk, talk a little bit about themselves and who they are and their families and those kind of things. And I'd say to them, Hey, uh, how many interviews did you go through? Oh, I went through seven. And 
So let me ask you a question. Why do you think we have so many interviews? And of course they'd give you all the answers. They, you know, they, they're thinking like, this is what he wants to hear. Oh, you want to, you know, you want to make sure you get to know us. If we have any questions or want to make sure that, you know, we're all on the same page and gives me a chance to talk to you and impress you. And then I'd listen and I'd say, Oh, those are all good answers. But the real answer is we gave you seven times to say no. Mm-hmm. And they would look at you and I'd say, well, I thought you were looking for supervisors and managers. I said, well, we are, but we want to make sure that this is really what you want. And you've had seven opportunities to, uh, to say, hey, it, do I really fit here? Is this really what I want to do? Is, you know, am I going to feel challenged? Do I feel like I belong here? Because this is a big step, especially if you're coming from an existing job and you're getting promoted into a job. You don't, if this doesn't work out, there's no going back. And so we'd hate to lose a very good person, a very good member of our UPS family because they raised their hands said, I want to be a supervisor, but really aren't ready for that. So, so now, now based on that fact that I've given you seven opportunities to say no, now do you have any questions for you? And it's <laughs> fun for me. And it's funny, you'd get the question like, well, do I really have to relocate? I mean, they've told me I had to move. I, I've been saying yes a lot just to keep this process moving, but I don't think I really want to move. Okay, well, let's talk about that, you know? Yeah, and exactly. So it's those kinds of things that you're trying to find the fit. You're trying to get people to be themselves because I know they're looking for the opportunity to start working, they've graduated, they want to start working on their student debt. All those things are maybe very important, but the fit's probably more important than they realize. And I can understand why they, they may not see it at that point, but you as the, you know, the person hiring or the person, you know, having maybe that final interview or one of the middle interviews, it's really important to find that right fit because nothing's worse for the individual or the company when you have all these starts and stops, you know, Hey, I've got a sales position open and the territory has been, you know, no one's been out in that territory because, you know, we had turnover there and, and the AE has left and now we've gone to two AEs. And so for, for the last year, we really haven't had a consistent person in that area working with our customers. So that's havoc for your customers. It's havoc for your organization. And you probably, you know, kind of lost three really good people because they weren't the right people. And, and you know, in some ways their lives are a little bit of a havoc. Absolutely. I, it makes me think about a, a person who worked for me and this person had been a, a phenomenal salesperson. So I'm going to make this gender, gender neutral just because this person might actually be watching this. And this person was a phenomenal, phenomenal salesperson, exceeded everything, just blew it out of the water left and right, but really wanted to become a manager. And I went through the same process to try and give this person as many opportunities to say, I don't really want this. But they were very hung up on the fact that that's what they should do. You know, that's the evolution of my career. I'm an excellent salesperson, so now I'm going to be an excellent manager. And I, I remember saying, you know, I, it's one of those things where I knew that if I didn't, in the end, promote this person, they were going to leave. So I thought... It, it's not, I know it's not right. It's not hundred percent right, but it's not wrong enough <laughs> to your point about, you know, you didn't agree with everything at UPS, but you didn't disagree enough to leave. So it was that, that real honest dialogue that I said, I'm going to give you this position. However, we're going to continue to talk about this because there's some landmines I can see ahead of us. I don't want us to step on one and definitely don't want us to do it together. So we continued to talk and this person had a lot of frustration because They'd always succeeded on their own. Now they're responsible for leading people that 
weren't always successful or that were inconsistently successful. And then you have the other uh, part of that where some of the very successful salespeople under this person ended up making more money than they did. And right, right. You, know, you and I know that you know, if you are a sales manager, there's very likely going to be at least one person on your team in the sales role that makes more money than you do. And it, you've got to be able to handle that. And I think it's always kind of my, my uh, mental litmus, litmus, t- litmus test, whatever the word is, um, about whether or not somebody can accept that because you, you can't get in your head like, well, I have a bigger title, so I should always make more money. It just doesn't work like that in sales. And, and I, to this day, when that person said, I think it's time for me to go back to sales, I was so thankful that I did it because and kept that person with us because they would have gone somewhere else, had a failing, and then would not have been a part of our family anymore. And I wanted to keep this person in the family, but we did it together and they reached that awareness. And to me, that was, it was a success, even though it was a failure, but you know, it's something for job seekers or really, or people looking for career advancement to really think about what's that next position. Do I really, really want it? (laughs) And if so, am I willing to accept the, the downsides to it? No, I think I think that's a great example, and, and and unfortunately, many more times than that, it happens that it doesn't work out that successfully. That the per the individual leaves, or you and that person never have that same relationship again. Because before you know it, they're on thirty, sixty, ninety, or a progressive improvement plan, or whatever. Absolutely. You know, whatever each organization has for it, but then once that process starts. Uh, it's a difficult process, both for you and him or her, because he or she's probably never been in that position before. You're sitting there saying to yourself, I probably should have never started, you know, this process of promoting them because intuitively I felt like there may have been something that you know, may have prevented, you know, may, maybe it wasn't hundred percent right, as you said, but you, you didn't have enough to say, well, okay, maybe we shouldn't do it. I just think it's, it's, it shows a lot of character on your part and his part that you were able to come to that resolution before it got to the point where you were going to lose a good individual or never been, or never have that same relationship again. So I think that that says a lot about both of you. I, yeah, I'm glad it ended the way it did. And this person is, is doing very well now and, and has actually spoken to me and said, I'm really glad I went back to that role much less stress, much more success and financial gain from it. So it was good, but it was a really great example for us both and something that I, I really took to heart. And um, I don't know, I'm just, I think that it's important for all of us, you know, whatever opportunities are presented to ourselves, to us, that we take that time to sit back and reflect and not just say, I want it because it's the next thing or it's the next evolution because everybody's path is going to be different. Well, I think the other thing too is that I think people believe, and I think you, you know, you were talking about it uh, when you were going through the example, I think people believe, well, it's the next logical step for me, you know, or the title of being a sales manager, but each of us has roles and responsibilities. I mean, I used to tell, you know, when I was a CEO at Unitech, I used to tell everybody that CEO stood for chief enthusiasm officer. I mean, (laughs) my job was was to keep people motivated, pumped up, have good strategy, you know, but, but if I'm doing day-to-day running of the business, I mean, that's a problem. And I'm probably getting in the way of the people who should be running the day-to-day business. I'm not giving them the authority that goes with the responsibility. So each of us has a role. That role is not any more important than any other role. 
I mean, if you think about it, no one's more important inside an organization than that frontline individual who works with your customers, meets your customers, and it really is the brand on a daily basis. And so for us at UPS, the driver was, was the most important, you know, you know, part of our, our, our brand because they interacted with our customers every day. That's who the customers saw. That's who the customers saw as UPS. And so I think that's so important. And so as, as people are moving through an organization, sometimes they believe, well, this is really the logical next step for me. And this is how I should be progressing. And you as the manager have to, at times, have that difficult conversation of, well, I can understand why you believe this is your next role, but you know, you know, I'm not, you're not ready or you need, you know, these are the things we need to work on together to get you to that point so that you can be successful because we don't want to lose you. You know, we'd better, you know, but we want you to feel good and ready about that next role. And so I think that that's, you know, those difficult conversations are hard to have sometimes when someone's excited about that next move, but you don't believe they're ready. You've got to bridge that gap of that. Well, this is my belief. This is my expectations of you. This is where you see yourself. How do we bridge that gap? And I think that's important to be able to have those kinds of conversations. Absolutely. Well, let me go to another question that I really want to ask you because I think it's important to think through an entire interview process. And with all the speakers that I've been um, interviewing for this, this uh, summit, we've been all talking about preparation, 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 practice, practice, practice. But I want to ask you about, you know, when you get to that point and you've got somebody, you know, you've you're feeling pretty good about them, but you know, now we're at the point where, you know, you get to that last question from a, a hiring interviewers point or an in, the hiring managers point where you say, do you have any questions for me? And I know that for me, one of my pet peeves was when people would say, Oh, well, no, it's, I think you've answered all the questions that I need. Or they might say something like, well, you know, you know, what, what's the timeline or, you know, how do I ensure, what have I told you to not make, you know, what have I told you that's make, make you want to hire me right now? There's kind of those canned cheesy questions. And then there's the kind of, you know, no answer questions that really don't impress me. What kind of questions could people ask you that either impressed you or maybe even uh, were not uh, all that exciting to you? Well, it's interesting because, you know, you always get the questions that are the obvious. Oh, you had such a wonderful career. You know, I, I did my homework and I, you've had so many different jobs at UPS. I like the I like the questions that are the thoughtful questions. Like, so for example, you know, I, I know you moved quite a few times. How was that with your family? And, you know, how, how did those conversations go? Or did you ever have a job inside of, you know, UPS or when you were at Unitech or that you didn't, didn't like to do or, you know, or didn't find it as satisfying. Because what I, what I like about those questions are they're real questions, right? Because those are really the things that they're thinking about driving home. Okay, you know, I know about the company. You know, I know the things that they, you know, stand for. I know that people talk about, you know, you know moving their way throughout a company like UPS or another large organization. But now they're really asking those thoughtful questions. And it says two things. It says, A, they're thinking through how they fit. They're thinking through, you know, am I going to be part of this organization? Am I going to find a way for me to, you know, to, to fit and feel good comfortably from, from my personal, you know, moral ethics and cultural perspective. The other thing I think it's important is, is that they're trying to, you know, they're listening to you and you've done a good job as the interviewer that now they're comfortable to ask you those kinds of questions, right? Cause if they're not sure that you're, you know, if, if, if you come across as that, you know, 
the, the standard, you know, okay, you're the person in charge and that you sit, you put up that barrier as the, as the person in charge, well, they're not going to ask you any of those thoughtful, you know, maybe more uh, deeper questions because they're, they're going to, they're going to say, Hey, this isn't the person that wants to really care too much about me or my family or, or what's keeping me up awake at night. I, you know, they're going to want to, he's going to want to hear, or she's going to want to hear the standard you know, questions that I practice for. And I think are the ones that he wants to hear. So, it really tells me that I do a good enough job to make them comfortable to ask me thoughtful questions and, and that, that I think are important to them and us to understand them. And, and are they that kind of individual that thinks through, how do I fit in? You know, how, what, you know, do, am I going to have a place in here? Do, is there, is this a place for me to grow and develop? And so I think those are some of the questions that I always look for are, you know, are they thoughtful questions and are they questions that are, that they really want to see, do I, do I really, do I really fit here? You know, this is going to be a place where, you know, look, I know that people don't stay at companies for 36 years anymore and, and they move on for different reasons, but they should move on because it's a good thing for them and us. They shouldn't move on. But when people move on because, you know, they're unhappy or it's a bad fit or, you know, they never really should have even taken the job. I mean, I, I it's funny when people leave and, you know, it's, it, it, you always ask those questions. You always do that soul searching. Well, do we do everything we could? You know, do we, do we see the, you know, the kind of the signs along the way that they were struggling or they weren't hitting their numbers or they weren't feeling good about themselves. Uh, and especially on a promotion, you know, we, we would always go through that whole process. And then I would always ask this one question at the end. I'd always say, well, let me ask you a question. How different are they today than when you promoted them? Absolutely. And they look at me and I say, what do you mean? Well, are they any different today than when they promoted you? What did you see in them in that day? Were you just, did you just need a, did you have an opening that you couldn't fill and you thought they raised their hand and they were the right person? I mean, what, what's the, you know, what's different today versus the day you promoted them and interviewed them? And should you have made that promotion from that perspective? Now, look, there's going to be people that don't make it. We both, you and I both understand that. And you're not going to you know, save everybody. But boy, you always got to do a soul search when, when someone leaves your organization and say, could I have done something better? Could I have done something different? What did I miss along the way? And because if, if you're always asking those constructively critical questions of yourself, you're going to get better at the process and you're going to get better at identifying. Your goal should be to have saves. Your goal should be to find ways to touch people, identify what they need, help them along the way. And even if they leave your organization, they should be better for their time with you inside Absolutely. your organization. Absolutely. And I think about that even as, you know, if you're sitting in the, the chair as the job seeker right now today, that, you know, a lot of people try and use that opportunity to sell themselves. And I'm going to, you know, make sure I promote the heck out of myself. So you see how fabulous I am. All right, well, I can see that on paper. And I can learn that from stories that I'll ask of you. But to your point, I also want to know that you are committed to growing and developing and learning. And so even, you know, you and I have both also had people who, you know, tried to suck up to us in the interview process. You know, I had one person who, you know, brought my copy of my book so that I could sign it. And I went, oh, this is very awkward and uncomfortable. <laughs> he said, There's a reference in my book to jelly beans. And he said, I thought for sure there'd be jelly beans in your office. And he called me the next day to apologize. He said, that was really weird. And I said, yeah, it kind of was. But I appreciated the fact that he called the next day to say that because it told me that he thought about it and he'd really internalized it and he wanted to make sure he left with a better impression. But one of the best impressions you could make on me if I'm looking to hire you 
is are you okay I, I love all, everything that brought you to this point but that's what got you to this interview now I need to know are you going to grow and develop with this position with this company with this industry because if you're just gonna come in on all your laurels that you had before right well, I can get a hundred people to do that. I need somebody who can help take every position and grow it and grow themselves. No, I, I think you're absolutely right. I, I'll tell you, you know, it's funny as you were talking, the, the strange, that's strange. The, 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 the thing that kind of touched me as I kind of grew in the interviews may have changed from entry level positions to, for example, you know, CFO or, or someone in the C-suite, you know, that was going to work for you. The thing that really kind of had my aha moment or got me, well, I didn't think that was going to be the way it was going to go was, was the references. Because mm. as, as people are moving up through the organization, especially frontline, middle-level managers, you're doing the interviews, but probably someone in HR or someone else is actually doing the, the background checks and the, you know, checking the references, right? Or checking the, you know. Absolutely. Well, on a, when you're starting to get to you're hiring a CFO, you're, you know, you're doing, as, you know, I'm making the calls to the other CEOs to say, well, how is this, you know, how is this individual as your CFO? And I got to tell you, now these, this, this individual puts down these two people as the reference. I dial those two references. 50% of the time that they didn't get a good reference. Oh boy, that's not good. I, I was surprised. Now, the difference is now when I say that, I, it, what I mean by that is you, you call over and you say, Hey, you know, this individual is, you know, is it, it, it was, a they did a restructuring. So it was two companies merging. So he, he or she wasn't the individual that was chosen. So you make the phone call, you're talking to the CEO and then a CEO says to me, well, let me ask you a question. What are you going through right now? Well, I'm going through this right now. Well, you know what he would be, or she would be good if you were going through this. But because you're going through that, I don't know if I, I don't know if I would hire him, him or her to do that. So I thought that was interesting. So, you know, the references that, that you know, once you understand the job, right? Because people put down these references, but once you understand what the role and responsibility of the job that you're seeking is, you may find out that the person you put down in a reference, especially at a senior level, may not be the person giving you the best reference, or maybe being more truthful than you are with yourself. Can I really do well in this job? I mean, if I'm a CFO. And this is a restructuring and I'm not really a restructuring person. Maybe I don't really fit in that role of responsibility. That's a really good point. And it takes a lot of self-awareness because you have to be able to say, I'm, I've looked at myself and I, and I see that that's, I know what I'm going for. And either a, this position isn't really right for me, but you know, so I'm not going to just tackle it because, <clears throat> because I want a job, but because it's I'm right fit. Or if I do know I'm the right fit, I need to make sure that the references that I use are really matched to how they can sing to my strengths. And, you know, I think people are getting a little lackadaisical with references because it's, you know, there's a lot of HR stuff around it where they'll just say, you know, when you worked and, you know, uh, verify dates of employments and titles and those things. But, I, you know, I'm still old school too. I always, I think it's so important to talk to people that have worked with other people. And I don't even necessarily need it to be a supervisor. I need it to be somebody that has seen them in action and can really speak to some of the examples that I'm going to want to see in the position myself. And there's a way to, you know, to really target that if you do it correctly. Oh, absolutely. You know, we, you know, we, 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 we really did a nice job with the whole, with the succession planning and really identifying, you know, ready now candidates, you know, one to two years, two to three understood, you know, 
you know, how do we look from a, you know, female minority perspective? And so I will say that I had some great, really some really great people I worked with who really, you know, understood and, and really worked at that as, as an important part of the whole succession planning process. But it was funny when people would come in to me and say, okay, you know, we have an opening for this next level position and this is who we've identified as the, you know, individual. And I would ask three questions and, you know, and the first question, you know, you have to ask it the right way because depending on how you ask it, you kind of get people a little bit taken back a little bit. My first question was always, if that the person didn't come to work, would anybody notice? <laughs> people would look at you like, excuse me? with a few people like that. <laughs> right? And, and it's funny because now people who know me after a while, they know the questions are going to come, right? But say, hey, if that person didn't come to work, would anybody notice? And so, you know, and then when people would stop and say, well, I, I think somebody would notice. Well, okay, but think about it. You're telling me they're the next person. That, you know, they're, they're the AAA player that we're going to put in the major leagues. If they didn't come to work, would anybody notice? But when you get to a more senior level, most people say, oh, no, everybody would notice. Okay. All right. Second question is, what wouldn't happen if they weren't here? What, what do you, you know, what does that mean? Well, it means, you know, what's, what's uniquely there? So, like, we have a lot of good people who run operations. But what's different in their operations? Is it the way they communicate with their people? Is it the programs they put together to educate and train their people? What, what wouldn't happen inside their organization or our organization without them? What's, you, what's their unique? What's unique? If someone picked up the phone and said, hey, I just got promoted and I'm getting transferred. I'm going to work for Rocky Romanella. And, you know, tell me a little bit about Rocky. People will rattle off two or three things. You know, hard, you better have hard work and enthusiasm. You better follow up on things. If you say you're going to do something, you better do it. You know, those are, those are the things that, you know, sort of like my, what would happen if you didn't, if Rocky wasn't here kind of things, right? So everybody has their sort of stick, I guess, or, or, or <laughs> the things that are uniquely theirs, right? And so you say, say, okay, what's uniquely them? If they have nothing, it doesn't mean that they're not a good employee or a good person, but they're not really kind of identifying themselves as that next level before they are the next level. And then the third question I always would ask is, okay, we're in a room, we're at a meeting, Michael and I are the two most senior people, but we get called out to do something else. And now somebody walks in and says, we have a problem, we've got, it. We've got to get this fixed. Well, who's the informal leader? Would this be the individual that would stand up, take charge, and every, all their peers would follow him? Oh, no, no, I don't think it would be them. I think it would be so-and-so and so-and-so. Okay, well then, are we sure they're ready for this next level? Because a person is the next level before they are the next level. And so, you know, I started to, you know, those were the three questions I would ask on a promotion. But then as I started to think about it, when, you know, when we would do the interview process with someone coming on board, those would be three questions I would say to them. You know, when you start to think, especially when I was addressing, you know, uh, you know uh, people coming out of college and are, you're getting ready for the process and are interviewing for jobs and, I would say to them, look, as you start to think about the roles and responsibilities and you start to think about your career, think about, well, look, if I didn't come to work, would anybody notice? You know, you know what, what differentiates me from everyone else, right? We're all good employees. We're working hard. We have good results, you know? But, it, you know, think about the salespeople. We're all hitting our goals. I'm 104, you're 103, we're 102. But what differentiates me? Is it the way I address my customers? It's the fact that you know, I, I, I sell value versus price, whatever those things are, but what's uniquely you that differentiates you from your peers? And as time moves on, are you that informal leader? Not because you're the loudest in the room, not because you do all the talking in the meeting, 
but do your peers look at you as that informal leader? Are you that next level before you are the next level? And if that's something that you work at doing, it's because you're, into, you're ready, you're starting to get there, you're taking on those responsibilities. And, and I started to think that those three questions were not only good questions when, that, when we're at that moment in the promotion process, but they were also, I thought, good ways for people to think as they're beginning the process inside an organization or inside of a career, or inside of a new job. Hey, you know what? Do I differentiate myself? You know, can, can I be that informal leader someday? You know, I didn't come to work for two weeks and nobody even noticed I was gone. You know, <laughs> you know so I thought it, wor it worked also from the beginning part as well as that kind of decision-making part. I think that's it's excellent advice for our viewers to ask themselves, you know, where do I fit in that and how do I want to be known? Because it's not even just for leadership roles, it's for every role. And if you're not, if you're not uh, seen those ways, you know, as valuable or being missed or being the one that can do the next thing, even if it's not the next position, maybe the, the next level of responsibility in your own position, then you've got a lot of competition sitting around you. You're not going to stand out the same way. You know, one last, well, I know we're, we're, we're kind of coming up against time, but, you know, it's interesting. We're talking a lot about, you know, kind of more seasoned jobs, but, you know, in some, in some cases or promotion, some cases you're being hired, you know, for a, a little bit more of a senior entry-level position. But, you know, we did a lot of hiring for part-time people inside our, you know, our organizations as well as people, you know, who are doing other, or other types of work. And it's funny when you start to have that, that turnover is, is deadly at, at all levels, right? Because someone's, there's a position that someone's not taking, whether it's loading a trail or unloading a trail or whatever those positions are. And they're important parts of, you know, kind of, the, you know, keeping the process going. And, you know, when we you'd sit in a meeting and say, look, we're really struggling to hire at these positions. And someone say, wow, you know, we don't pay enough money or you'd say, well, why do you think that? I mean, where are you getting that information from? Well, people say, oh, you don't pay, you know, you don't pay us enough. And or this, you know, at, at, at X amount an hour, this, you know, this job isn't worth it. And so finally, you know, you say to them, well, let me ask you a question. So you think when a person raised your hand and said, I want to come work for your organization, pick a number, 10 bucks an hour. They thought that they were coming to your organization, start the job, but convince you to pay them 12 bucks an hour. No, $10 an hour was a good was was a good hourly wage when they first got there but then when they started to do the job and the way you treated them what you asked right. them to do they made this decision that said wait a minute for all the things you're asking me to do this isn't worth 10 bucks an hour exactly so that's the difference that's the disconnect i think sometimes that happens in organizations as you're starting to hire people that are you know maybe not you know coming out of college and going into a, a little bit of a different position it's what you're asking me to do versus what you're paying me isn't matching up real well. And you got to really think about that for a second, take a step back and say, well, wait a second, you know, is it the way we train them? Is it, is it the way we position the job? Is it the way that we describe the job in orientation? It's Absolutely. amazing what you'll find out. You know, my, my, my story that I laugh about all the time is we were struggling with hiring some people inside our, our uh, hub operation in, and, uh, it was a night shift. It was a twilight shift, like five to nine, and it was all air packages. And so on air packages, you have to really understand hazardous materials. So we never had a problem hiring before. And then all of a sudden, we started to have turnover. People would come in orientation, and it was a five-day orientation. By Friday, we lost half the people. Oh, my gosh. So you say to the HR people, hey, what's going on here? Man, we, 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 you know, I don't know. People say, you know, they don't like the job anymore. Or they don't, we don't pay them enough. You know, 
do the classic answers, right? <laughs> exactly. So I, so I said, well, well, has anybody been in the orientation? Well, what do you mean? Have any, have any of you gone to the orientation yet? Well, no, no. no. I said, well, I'll tell you what. Don't tell your HR rep, but I'm going to go into orientation. Now, who knew at the time I was on the cover boss before on the cover boss was on the cover boss? I said, well, I'm not, I don't want <laughs> Wait, that You didn't have to put a mustache on, though. No, that's a good point. Wear the fake nose and glasses. No. <laughs> So I said, but look, don't tell anybody, right? I, you know, this was 20 years ago. I don't, I mean, I look kind of young enough. So anyway, so the first thing I did is I go out to the parking lot, right? And the offices were on one side of the street and the facility was on the other side. So first thing is I see a couple of people gather and say, hey, what's going on? They said, uh, yeah, we starting work. And I go, yeah, me too. They look at me and they're like, yeah, kind of old for this. You know, you got a pretty lot of work here. I go, yeah, I know. I got a landscaping job during the day. I just thought I worked part-time at night. All right, so where are we supposed to go? Well, first of all, nobody actually ever told them where they were supposed to go for the job. Oh, no. So we all walked across the street, you know. And, and so now we're inside the facility. And the first night, you know, so what they realize is, you know, you know, there's this theory of primacy, which you learn first, you retain the longest. So so someone with good intentions decide to take this, this, you know, 40, it was a 20, it was 40, 20 hours of training. They decide to take the 20 hours of training and in the 20 hours is about eight hours of hazardous material training intermittent throughout the five days. Well, somebody decided, well, you know what? Primacy, learn first, retain the longest. Let's take the eight hours of training and put it in the first two days. Oh boy. So what happens is the first night, there's like 20 of us. The first night, about four people said to me, hey, if I were you, I'd get out of here. There's a lot of dangerous stuff in here. (laughs) By night two, another four people left because this is really a lot of hazardous stuff in here. Well, it was just intermittent. If they did it intermittently, it would just seem like, okay, you got to understand that aerosol cans can't go. It just... It wasn't nearly as dangerous, but if you had eight hours, your first, imagine going home and telling your parents, I don't know, everything can blow up in that place. We got to (laughs) leave. So it was just something as simple as the training and orientation changed. Yeah. And, and so what happened then is people started to say, well, I don't really fit in here. This isn't what I thought the job was going to be. I thought this was going to be a good workout. I was going to unload trailers or load air containers and it would be a good, it would be a fun job to do. If you hung around by Wednesday, everybody kind of stayed then. Oh, this makes sense. And there's not as many hazardous materials, I think. It's just I have to be aware of them more than, you know, they're 20% of maybe all the packages. But I just have to be aware of them. Well, you made them the first eight hours of 20. It seemed like that was the most right. So I think sometimes it's taking the time to ask the questions like, well, why are people leaving that quickly as I'm hiring them? I mean, you know, how are we losing people in orientation? Exactly. Yeah. You know, there's something wrong then. <laughs> yeah. You would think, right. You know, so anyway, but when I got, when those four kids looked at me and said, Hey, 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 you, you got to get out of here. You're, you're too old for this. Right? You can't be doing this. You're too old for this. <laughs> yeah. Rocky, we could go on forever. I know there's a thousand stories that you have that are fabulous. I want to make sure that we highlight all your contact information will be in the show notes, but I know you can be found uh, at your website, which is 360 Management Services with the number three, but the word 60 written out. So 360managementservices.com. You have also written a great leadership book called Tighten the Lug Nuts, which I wish we had time to go into today because it's, it's uh, such a fabulous uh, premise with, some, I know, some incredible stories. But uh, before we wrap up, any last words of wisdom or pearls of advice for uh, everybody? Yeah, just quickly. So, so remember this word legacy. So legacy means uh, you, leave thing, you, know, you leave things a little better than you found them. 
people are better because of their time with you. Your customers are better because of their interaction with you. And so if you think about legacy, I always tell people that are starting new, new, you know, getting into the workplace for the first time, think about the end and kind of work backwards. So when you think of a word, what is the word that you want people to describe you as an individual? And so whenever you ask that question, people come up with, oh, decisive, a leader, aggressive, energy, whatever. For me, the word is thoughtful. I want to be considered a thoughtful leader. And if you think about how do, what's the word I want people to use when they think of me, Joe Scaffone, as, as a leader, and you work backwards, then, that, then that's what you're always working on. Who am I? What do I stand for? And what's that word? So a thoughtful leader treats your people with dignity and respect. A thoughtful leader is a, is a, is a caring individual. Is a thoughtful person that asks the questions, you know, how are these decisions I make going to impact people as individuals, not only as a, us as an organization. So think about that as you think about your legacy. Are people better because of their time with you? And, and you know, at the end, how do I want people to think of me? What's that one word that'll describe who I am as an individual and as a leader and as a person inside the workforce? And that, that could be a good, a good approach to, as you kind of move throughout your career. That's great. And I just was thinking also about how you could use that in the interview process to say, you know, when, when somebody asks you a question about, you know, maybe kind of that, that standard, what do you want to be you know, doing in five years from now is to be something, something to say about, you know, well, the one thing that I know is that the, by the end of my career, I want to be known for this. And I've already had some examples in some of my previous, previous positions, which is why it's very important to me. That would tell me as a hiring manager, a great deal about your thoughtfulness as a candidate, as, as an employee and as a future team member, that you've taken the time to think that far ahead and you're trying to craft your career decisions towards that goal. That's brilliant. Well, thank you very much. Hey, hey, I got, (laughs) hey, even I can get lucky every now and then. You're pretty smart. Hey, listen, uh, could you write that down and send it to my wife, please? Because I got to tell you, sometimes I don't feel that way. <laughs> I will. I'll call her right after. She, All right, thanks. She doesn't know me, but we'll have a good conversation. I'll there make sure. She- <laughs> well, she's happy I'm talking to you. He's keeping me busy. I'm not following her around the shop right or something. So you're helping That's me out here a lot. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. Rocky, it has been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with everyone. And uh, I know that uh, people are going to want to hear more from you. In the future, there's great ways to, to contact you and, uh, and definitely to read your book. So thank you and have a wonderful day. You too. Thank you very much. Thanks for the opportunity to speak with you. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Shock Your Potential. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and like our podcast. And for more information, find us at shockyourpotential.com and shockyourpotentialpodcast.com. <laughs>